Hey, welcome to night school. I thought I was done talking about Star Wars. I thought that I had met my lifetime quota, that I was just going to be done with it. I didn't need to think about it or talk about it ever again, but I watched the prequels over the weekend, spent my entire weekend watching the prequels. Uh, You know, the total amount of hours is like, what, six, seven hours at the most. But somehow I spent my entire weekend just watching those. It's kind of like when I watched Back to the Future, the Back to the Future trilogy. Somehow it took, you know, the whole weekend. It stretched out. Stretched. It changed time. No. Uh, but uh, the prequels, you know, naturally made me think. And the reason I wanted to watch them is because... I felt like I might see them through different eyes this time. Since those new movies have come out without George Lucas having been involved, and they've received, you know, opinions. People have opinions of those. Who would have thought? Who would have thought people have opinions on movies that are coming out, especially movies that are part of a series that is sentimental to them? Who knew that they would have opinions? Uh, But people have opinions on those, but of course, people had very strong opinions on the prequels, myself included. And I mentioned in another episode, you know, I already said I met my Star Wars quota. I know I'm exceeding it here now. Uh, And I, you know, very rarely in your life can you reference a previous podcast you did where you talked about Star Wars, but I can do that. I did an episode where I talked about how I'm glad the prequels came out and ruined Star Wars for me when they did. When I was in seventh grade, I think the first prequel came out. And, you know, between the ages of, let's say, six or seven and 11 or 12, you know, that general range, I was obsessed with Star Wars. I loved it. I I knew the home planets of random characters who walked by in the background. I knew what their species was called. I was obsessed with it. And so naturally, I was excited when the the first prequel came out. But I'm glad that it was terrible. I'm glad that those movies kind of took the momentum I had, you know, in that early part of my life and just killed it. The moment, the Star Wars momentum. I'm glad they just shut it down because it made me get interested in other things. You know, I don't know where I would be today if Star Wars prequels had been good. You know what I mean? If Star Wars just kept making, you know, if Lucas and Star Wars, whoever, whoever, whoever's handling this Star Wars now, you know, whoever's handling it. Um, you know, but, you know, let's say they just kept making good movies. Every few years, a really fucking good Star Wars movie came in that had alien species whose home planets I need to learn about. You know, if that just kept happening and I felt just completely engrossed in that world well into, you know, high school and adulthood, if I was just totally content with the, the, the Star Wars that keeps coming out, uh, you know, who knows what I would be like. You know, who knows what anybody would be like if they made the movies good. It's like, that's a part of me that I wouldn't have had to like, you know, it forced me to learn about change, you know, not that, you know, that's just a part of growing up learning about change. But I think something going from being like the absolute best thing in the world, like Star Wars original trilogy to me as a kid, there wasn't much better than that, to something that's just abysmally terrible, something that's in the same world, that's made by the same people, some of the same people. And to have it just be that much, not just lower in quality, but just pretty much a 180, you know, to have it be that bad, it forces you to deal with some things. You're like, holy shit. You know, one, it forces you to recognize the fact that you have a pretty good life if, 
you know, the level of Star Wars, uh, the, the quality of Star Wars affects your actual well-being that much or, you know, impacts your mood. You know, you must not be like scrounging for, you know, scraps of, you know, bread crust just to survive if you're worried about, you know, the, the Star Wars prequels or whatever. Uh, but uh, you must not be one of them uh, starving kids in Ethiopia if you're worried about uh, Anakin Skywalker. You know, it's true. But at the same time, you know, it was a good little lesson. I feel like it was a good lesson for people like me who are it's like, oh, guess what? I don't need to care about Star Wars the rest of my life. I don't need to be a 40 year old man wearing like a Darth Vader shirt. And God knows we have enough of those. You know, God, <laughs> that's the thing that's crazy to me is like the number of grown men. And this isn't a criticism. I'm, I'm not somebody who's ever going to criticize people for like holding on to their youth or like staying somewhat of a little boy or whatever people do. You know, got to hold on to what what's what you got to hold on to, whatever. But like the number of people like who are old, like parents who wear like Star Wars merch, who wear like Star Wars T-shirts, Marvel T-shirts, you know, all that stuff. It's like all the T-shirts that they would have worn as a little boy are what they wear now. And that just plays into the whole thing I've talked about where it's like the generations are shortening. The gaps between generations are generations are shortening where you know, the things that little kids and kids of any age are doing are much closer to what their parents are doing. Like their parents are playing video games. It's that used to be a thing that no adults really did. Every once in a while, you'd have like a dad, like my dad got really into Tetris on Game Boy and he would play it on the toilet and things like that. Uh, But, you know, it was sort of a novelty if your parent gave a shit about a video game. It's like, oh, every once in a while, dad sits down and plays Nintendo with us. Or every once in a while, you'd meet some family who had a dad who actually did play a lot of video games. But it was weird. It was weird then to to know a parent who actually cared about video games. Uh, The only one I can think of is there was a kid, you know, because I lived a town over from Nintendo's U.S. headquarters, Redmond, Washington, and... uh, there was a kid whose dad worked there, and his dad like knew a lot about games and stuff. But it was also his business, you know. And it, he he wasn't just like a guy who was into video games. He was a guy who was involved in the video game business. So that was kind of different. Uh, but uh, you know, for me, like you know, like you didn't meet. I didn't come across too many dads. Whereas now, it's it's the standard. I mean, most young fathers, and by young, I mean under forty, but probably forty and older as well, are just really into gaming. That's a main hobby. Like, dad retires to his room and plays video games at night. You know, uh, and wears Darth Vader shirts. What is what are we gonna get dad for his birthday? I'll get him some Darth Vader socks. He'll love it. <laughs> Make sure that he wears his Darth Vader socks with his Darth Vader shirt. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, you think about it, and parents, like, in terms of, like, hobbies and stuff, and it's like people are watching a lot of the same things, you know, it's like there's not, I don't know, I, I think of old people today It's like as watching a lot more, like, traditional television, but even then it's like so many parents are, like, you know, have been using Netflix for like 15 years at this point. You know, so many people who are like my age, like are, they're just using all the same things that the younger people are using and just generation gaps are getting shorter. And adults are also learning a lot more because adults are hanging out on the internet and they're learning about new trends as they happen and whatever, and using new slang. I mean, I see it happen. Even, 
even really old people sometimes get hip these days. You know, there's even like people's grandparents who are able to like slip in on the latest trends because uh, those those gen gaps are, are shortening. Um, so yeah, I was just talking about though how like you know for me it's like it's amazing to see that to be like oh it's normal now to be like a forty year old man with kids and still just be obsessed with Star Wars or still like play video games and I'm not judging that at all. I think those things are entertaining to people for a reason. Those things are important to people for a reason. And in the same way that I won't phone shame people, at least I'll try not to, I also don't believe in Star Wars shaming people or like Marvel t-shirt shaming people either. But I am going to notice it. I mean, I think that's a thing with me, you know, and, and a lot of this show. It's like a lot of this is just me noticing things and describing things I see. And <laughs> sometimes doing that in just like the most basic and stark terms possible sounds like, you know, critical. And maybe it is, you know, maybe there is a little bit of judgment that I just can't escape. Like maybe no matter what, you know, there's just like this little drip of judgment on my tongue that no matter what I say, it's going to be there. It's probably true. Uh, but it's probably true. Um, but at the same time, like I, I do notice th these things not with any, there's nothing malevolent about it. I would say I just, I'm someone who, when I'm out in the world, I try to look around, you know, I try to look at people without staring at them. I try to like observe people. And naturally the more you do that, the more you notice commonality and behavior. I mean, and I, you know, what I studied in school was sociology as well. Uh, I've always been interested in social psychology, and I don't even do it consciously. I don't go out into the world and be like, "I'm just going to look at everything with a you know a, soci a sociologist's eye," you know, because I'm not a sociologist. But I, just, I don't, I don't think in those terms. Uh, but it just, I naturally just observe people, and so this is a certain type of person. There are certain types of people. That much I know. <laughs> there are certain types of people. And 40-year-old dads who are just into, like, you know, gaming and Star Wars are a thing. And But I, I feel like I'm glad I had some disruption on that chain. And I guess that's where, it sound, where I sound judgmental, because I'm saying I'm glad I didn't become that. And I am. You know, I'm glad that the prequels sucked, because it, like, it broke the chain. It was like, if, if the prequels had been good, that would have been, like, an enticement. Like, just stay. Stay with us. You know, just keep... Just get deeper and deeper into Star Wars. More characters to care about. More characters to care about. More home worlds. More home worlds to learn about. <laughs> More trivia. More galactic trivia for you. Because we're just going to keep making good movies. And so by the time these, like, se these new sequels came out, and like I didn't like them, you know, I went to the first one. Someone who was important to me like was like, oh, you know they had seen the the first of the sequels and was like oh it's it's actually really good you know it's way better than the prequels which is the standard that everybody had set for the, for these movies it's like well if they're better than the prequels they get they get a thumbs up from me i don't know but i don't know what Roger ebert thinks i don't know if he's alive i know he lost his jaw which is just like such a cruel irony for a critic, like a guy whose entire celebrity, entire career has been being a critic, and he he has his like throat or his jaw removed, he had some sort of cancer of that. It's like I'm not making light of that at all. 
maybe I am. I don't know. But like just that cruel irony. No, I'm not making light of it. I actually never had any problem like with Roger D. Roger Debert. I can't even say his name. Uh, but it is this like some cruel twist of fate that a critic would have his jaw removed um, or his, his throat removed. Whatever, whatever happened to him, it was you know pretty terrible. Uh, but uh, why did I even bring that up? I was talking about critical reviews. Um, Oh, yeah, by the time the sequels came out, pretty much the standard was, is like, are they better than the prequels? And someone, you know, it was in my life at the time, was like, oh, you know, it's really good, and, like, you actually will like it. And so we went and saw it, and I just felt like I had to hold my tongue, because it's it's just one of those things where it's like you don't want to, like, if someone else is excited, and they want you to be excited, you know, you don't want to kill the buzz, you know? You don't want to be that person who, like, doesn't have any empathy or understanding of, (laughs) you know... I don't know. You, you don't. You don't want to be like. I thought it sucked. Actually, you're wrong. You don't understand my my opinions. You're wrong. It sucked. No, I didn't want to be that person. So I just went along. I was like, yeah, it was good. You know, but really, I didn't feel that way at all. I saw it and I was like, oh man, this is just. You know, it's pandering. You know, and and it's it knows that it can just coast by on like a better than the prequels. Uh, you know, you can just coast by on that. So. And it just, I don't know, the pandering and stuff. And that's actually what I noticed in the prequels this time around. And let me get, just to get back to my original point of wanting to rewatch the prequels. The reason was, is like with these sequels coming out and like George Lucas not being involved, there's something kind of sad about that. Even though he made these prequels that we all hated and stuff and we all like were, you know, just overwhelmingly mean to this guy, this, this, filmmaker we were all overwhelmingly mean like we sent all this negative psychic energy his way and he absorbed that in his neck if you've seen pictures of him like uh speaking of people having weird things going on with their neck or jaw uh, if you've seen george lucas like he kind of covers it up with his beard line but he actually to the point where it almost looks like he has a goiter or something i don't know if he does i haven't seen it addressed and i guess that's not something that he necessarily needs to address publicly you know, he does a, a press conference where it's like, I'd like to talk to all of you about my neck. I don't know. I, I feel like I could do a good George Lucas impression. He did build a world. That's the thing, though. He did build this world of Star Wars, and I always appreciate world building. Even if I'm not into something, I appreciate someone who's a good world builder. And I think a great example, two great examples, would be one, uh, Harry Potter. Like, she created... You know, this world that even though I I saw one movie years ago, like when it came out, like the first movie, the first Harry Potter movie, I saw it when it came out. I've never read the books. I did see the Fantastic Beasts movie. But other than that, I haven't seen the movies and I don't care about it. I, I have no interest in Harry Potter. But yet I can very easily enter that world, which is impressive, and to me takes some sort of true ability or talent, and she no doubt has that, because she did create this world that even as an outsider to that story, I can easily understand and kind of, I feel like I even know a lot about it, even though I've never paid attention and never seen a lot of it. I feel like I could tell you a lot about Harry Potter right now. Um, but she's just that good. And another example of that would be the Simpsons where the Simpsons just did this incredible job with creating that town. And I even remember being a kid and seeing like some kid I knew maybe had like a map of Springfield on his wall. I, I don't, 
<laughs> it sounds really cool, and I'm trying to think of who that would even have been, but I have some sort of memory. I mean, it could even have been at a store. I might have gone to a store, and they had, like, some map for sale of, like, Springfield, because that's something people would want, um, like a, a cartoon map of Springfield. And I saw that somewhere, and I remember, like, not even being the biggest Simpson fan at all. Like, I didn't – I definitely wasn't these kids who was watching The Simpsons every night. Like, if I caught it, I caught it. It was sometimes funny. Sometimes I felt like it was – like I was supposed to find it funnier than it actually was. I don't know. I was. I definitely was not a Simpsons kid. Uh, but but I saw this map of like Springfield, like a cartoon map, obviously, and I was just like, whoa! Like I I almost wanted that map. It just I in that moment it was just like, look at this fucking world they created. With look, look at these landmarks that you see on the show and this character's house and this and the ability to do that is just so impressive and it's one of the reasons why Harry Potter or or the Simpsons or Star Wars is so popular it's because they did such a good job at creating that world and you can look at a lot of popular stories especially in fantasy i mean fantasy it's uh, you in order to have a successful fantasy story you have to build an incredible world uh, story is almost second to fantasy you know when you build a, just a truly impressive world but it's true for you know if you're just telling like a like a story you know a daily story but not all you know not everything really taps into that there are a lot of really good stories that i don't feel like really create a world they're more about like the story and the characters and this or that and the, the setting doesn't really matter as much but there are some of these examples these i think these these stories or these movies, whatever they are, that develop like a really deep cult following. I feel like those more often than not are examples of great world building. And with The Simpsons even, like I said, I wasn't even a Simpsons fan, but I was just drawn to like the idea that like, oh, that's... I remember playing, I played a Simpsons video game at one point where you're like one, you know, you're, it's like a side scroller. It was, I think it's for Sega Genesis where you're in Springfield. And I remember, I remember feeling like the same way about seeing that Springfield map. The game probably even had a map in it. Maybe the game is where I saw the map. I don't know. The other day I was thinking though, as someone who's not a Simpsons fan, I was thinking about voices and stuff and, and like Homer and it, there was always something very disturbing to me about you know, Bart Simpson and Rugrats being voiced by a woman. Not like a disgusted, like, misogynistic, like, I can't believe they let a woman do uh, Bart Simpson's voice. I can't believe they let a woman do that young man's voice. You know, it wasn't like uh, anything like that. Like, <laughs> how, how dare they let a woman do <laughs> the voiceover? It was just like knowing that that sound was coming from a woman just blew my mind at the time, especially the Bart Simpson voice, uh, where... It sounds like, like knowing it was a woman, like, like the Bart Simpson voice sounds like a voice. You're in a tavern, you know, generally on the seedier side, you're in kind of a seedy tavern and, you know, you're just kind of paying attention to the din for a second and you hear some voices kind of pop through, some voices burst through the din of the tavern. And like one of them is going to be a middle-aged lady who sounds like Bart Simpson. It's like this middle-aged drunk lady voice. And I think that's why I find it so disturbing. It's finding out it actually is done by a woman. You start to hear Bart Simpson a little differently. You start to hear Bart Simpson a little differently. And cartoon voices in general, though, I mean, I, I think are very disturbing. And anytime you've seen a behind-the-scenes where it showed, like, Robin Williams doing the genie's voice in a studio and, like, he's doing all these hand motions and faces because he's Robin Williams. But anytime I've seen footage of somebody 
doing uh, voice acting. It's kind of disturbing, like something I shouldn't be seeing. I imagine that's the case for Bart Simpson. I mean, Bart Simpson's like something that now in my life, I feel like I don't even need to hear that. <laughs> but I was thinking about those voices and like Homer and stuff and just like what the Homer voice is. And that there are people who go around who were like huge Simpson fans. Like we had this family friend. He was a few years older than us and his parents left town for a vacation. And so he stayed with us. So he was like in high school when I was maybe in like seventh or eighth grade. And he went to the alternative high school. Not because he was a troublemaker, but because he was just like this real, he was just really nerdy. And uh, sometimes that happens. Sometimes kids are like so nerdy that they had to go to the alternative high school just for that reason. Uh, but he, uh, he would watch The Simpsons every night. He was like obsessed. And it, it, you could tell where it like color, like there were some kids you knew where like they watched Beavis and Butthead and that was it. From then on, like they were, it was like something they had been waiting for their entire life. And suddenly they started acting more like Beavis and Butthead. And it's, it's like the pro wrestler chicken and the egg thing I always bring up where it's like, well, you know, the pro wrestlers partly influenced by their real personality, but then their, their real personality ends up being influenced by the fact that they pretend to be a pro wrestler all the time. And then, next thing you know they're just this weird like caricature and I, that's what kind of happens with cartoons apparently because I remember kids who watched Beavis and Butthead yeah they would watch Beavis and Butthead and like from then on it was like that part of them that was already Beavis and Butthead and didn't know it yet who you know that that natural that organic <laughs> that organic Beavis and Butthead element like that kind of like saw Beavis and Butthead for the first time and was like, I identify with this. And then that made them act more that way. And so it's kind of like with The Simpsons. But, you know, there are some types of people, and I think this is like family friend I'm talking about who stayed at our house and watched The Simpsons every night and like, like belly laughed. Like I'm talking like he would be alone in the living room. You know, he's a house guest just like watching his TV for the night and like he would belly laugh and it was like you could hear it throughout the entire house and like every little like Homer one-liner to him was just like an eruption and it was amazing. Like, I mean, just this kid, like The Simpsons was his thing. And it made me think about how he probably like went around hearing Homer's voice in his head. And I, the, all, what I'm getting at is, like, like, I would love to be able to do that sort of voice. Like, I don't know why, just to have that sort of ability. Like, I like doing accents and stuff, but like a Homer voice. I don't know, Marge. You know, I'm just trying to think of... I'm just going to use this as kind of... I'm going to workshop this right now. You're, this is now a, a uh, voice acting workshop. And you can imagine the things I'm doing with my hands and my face. Um... It's <laughs> just, just a great thing to say to anybody. Just imagine the things I'm doing right now with my hands and my face. Hey, I'm just trying to do a Homer Simpson voice here. I'm not doing anything dirty. A little dirty. Oh. I don't know, Marge. No, that's not it. Um, I got to get this in my head. Ooh. Good donut. Ooh, good donut. Good donut here. I don't know. I don't, I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to revisit it before I humiliate myself any further. Ooh, humiliation. You know, it's like that sort of like Homer Simpson delivery. And what actually made me think of that was watching the, the Star Wars prequels. And I, I promise you that isn't a forced connection. I did have that actual thought of like Simpson style one-liners when I was watching the prequels. For example, in the second movie... Um, 
Now, let me just get back to the prequels for a sec, because the reason I watched them is because I felt like, oh, maybe, it, you know, it's kind of sad to me that these, I'll really, I'll chop this up real quick. Um, it's sad to me that these new movies came out without George Lucas involved, and he's made these comments about, he, he made a statement around the time that he, that Disney bought bought out the, the rights to Star Wars, and he was like, why would I want to make these movies anymore if everybody just hates me for it when I do. And that made me realize, like, he truly doesn't know what he's doing. Like, George Lucas truly doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't know what he was doing at any point. The original Star Wars is the product of, you know, just the right t- the right thing at the right time with a large dose of magic involved, true magic, something truly organic. And, you know, whereas, you know, with the prequels, he, he didn't have some magic formula. He didn't know what he was doing. He had, he had participated in some sort of insane, you know, phenomena, like, like, you know, just true blue magic is what he had experienced in making those first ones. And no doubt there was a lot of hard work. I'm not taking that out of it. I'm not taking any of the great innovation, special effects innovation, you know. I'm not taking away anything from it. But there was that movie, that trilogy was held together with some sense of magic. And with that said, it's like you can't just be like, well, we're going to use a little bit of that same magic for these prequels. You know, we've been thinking a lot about how, how we can use just this supply of magic we have. You know, it doesn't work that way. So... George Lucas is just winging it. You know, he might ha- have had billions of dollars and all the time in the world to make the prequels, still winging it, still flying by the seat of his pants, because that's just what we all do, you know, no matter what. And he happened to have a large budget. He happened to have a lot of experience in being a professional. But beyond that, there's no way that he could actually, you know, just press a button and recreate the same magic. Uh, but there's something sad about him no longer being involved. There's some, it's like, even though we all hated the prequels, it's almost like, but they were like, they were our prequels in a way, you know, it's like, it was like this love and hate with the same thing. You know, it's, it's just, it's just like kind of like that classic idea. It's like a, it's like a fucking yin, the Star Wars yin yang, you know? That's sort of what the prequels and the trilogy were like. It's like, it's the dark and the light side of the force as explained in the fucking story, you know? It's that same idea. It's like you have the light side, which is the original trilogy, and you have the dark side, which is the prequels. Here's what can happen just on a purely quality level, on a level of storytelling. Here's how you make a good story. Here's how you make a bad story. Here's how you make the wrong decisions. But there's something kind of sad about him no longer being involved and having seen the new ones and not really felt anything. Felt like they were kind of pandering, not very well thought out, you know, not very impressive to me. You know, it just kind of made me feel nothing, though. I didn't feel any passion, that's for sure. Whereas I did feel that passionate disdain for the prequels. They did make me react. The prequels are art, I guess, because they made me react. And so I thought, you know, I'll rewatch the prequels because, you know, at least they're George Lucas's. And maybe having seen these new ones that didn't do much for me, like maybe I'll be able to appreciate the prequels in a new light. And I feel like I've seen a little bit of that happen with other people where people are kind of like, you know, maybe we just uh, didn't realize how good we actually had it when the prequels came out. So I rewatched them this weekend and. It was just, you know, it was terrible. I mean, like, there's no way I can possibly, there's no way I can possibly like those movies 
and I don't need to reiterate the reasons why other people have pointed out a million times or that I've probably mentioned too. I don't need to say why, but I did allow myself this little game because I went in, I was like, I'm going to be as objective as possible. I'm not just going to hate it from the start. I'm not going to go into this trying to make fun of it. I'm going to go in and be as objective as possible and just enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that I'm sitting here watching Star Wars in 2019. I'm just going to enjoy it. But shortly into the first prequel, I, I was like, okay, the one concession I'm going to give is if I see something really stupid, I'm going to say to myself, stupid. I'm just going to say, stupid. About something stupid that I see on screen. But very quickly, you know, you can see where this is going. It got to where, like, pretty much every few seconds, that meant saying, stupid, stupid, oh, stupid. So I stopped doing that. And I accepted that I was just watching something really stupid, and that continued for the next two movies. But to go back to the Simpsons thing, <laughs> to go back to the Simpsons, in the second movie, I did actually think of the Simpsons, because there's a part where, like, like Anakin jumps off a flying car to chase after a spy, and it's dramatic. It's like, oh, he's falling, you know? And that's the other thing. Got, people are just like, it's like crouching tiger hidden dragon like the prequels it's just like guys flying everywhere and doing flips and floating through midair and jumping off really high things and somehow managing to like propel themselves it's just it's ridiculous uh and uh he falls down and he's like falling into this like city this urban abyss where there's like flying cars everywhere and like so he just throws himself to the wind literally and obi-wan like looks over the side and it could be this dramatic moment where it's like oh what's going to happen to him like we know he's going to survive but like who knows how you know there's this and obi-wan goes i hate it when he does that you know and it's it just kills the moment and it's that sort of like it makes me think of those kinds of like simpsons nerds like the kind of people who like probably walk around with like Homer Simpson's voice in their head just like it's just that sort of humor and like that sort of timing and delivery like people who think that that kind of thing is witty <laughs> and here I am back to the judgment here I am back to that but uh uh it's just that's that's that kind of thing where it's just like this like one-liner like and I'm a, I, I like one-liners I was just I was talking to somebody earlier about Rodney Dangerfield and how as a kid I just I didn't know what Rodney Dangerfield did, but I was just like opposed to everything he represented. Like I didn't get it. I didn't, you know, nobody in my family was a Rodney Dangerfield fan. So it wasn't like there was any introduction for me. I just saw this guy and he was already at the end of his career by the time I was a kid. And I was just like, oh no. And then as an adult, of course I love him. You know, of course I love Rodney Dangerfield now. How could I not? You know, if you know anything about like what I'm into, how could I not like Rodney Dangerfield? I'm not going to say I'm his biggest fan, but I, I, I do enjoy him. Uh, and he's the king of one-liners, and I, I do actually appreciate one-liners, but there's a certain kind of one-liner that's like supposed to be witty, and uh, there's a certain type of person, too, who just loves it. It's like the kind of person who loves Stewie. You know, it's the same exact thing. It's like this person who loves Stewie from Family Guy, which in general, like I don't even need to get into that. Um, I don't even need to talk about Family Guy or that whole that whole umbrella of shit. <laughs> that whole umbrella of shit. Well, I think that's just an umbrella of shit. <laughs> oh, you call that a TV show? I think it's an umbrella of shit. Umbrella shit. Um... What is this umbrella shit? Uh, Family Guy. It's a show called Family Guy. It's my favorite show. You wouldn't believe... No, it's a good thing I got TiVo. 
because I got this part back here. You got to watch. I got to rewind it. See, you got to, you just got to hear what Stewie says. You got to hear what this guy says. He's a baby. He's a freaking baby. And he, he talks like this. If Stewie talked like Homer, that's the only way I would watch the show. I like Stewie, but he's not enough like Homer Simpson. Well, I don't know. I'm just the baby. That's not it. That's not it. I, I feel like I'm on the verge of Homer. It's going to be the name of my autobiography. On the verge of Homer. On the verge of what? It's like the end. I can't get, I can get the be- I feel like I can get like the start of his voice right, but the end of it just doesn't work. I feel like that does sound like a certain Simpsons character though. I don't know. The Simpsons have probably crept into my life in all kinds of ways. Like I'm like I'm not a fan, but yet like it's probably all over my if you were to analyze my brain or if you were that's what's that's going to be a thing someday like you have 23 in me and these things where you run your genetic dna there's going to be a thing in the future where they run your thoughts and they find out like what percentage of your thoughts or your personality is influenced by this or what percentage of your brain you spend thinking on this or was was somehow shaped by something and it's like uh, we've determined that uh, your brain is, uh, it's got like 75% like Simpsons influence. And I'm like, I didn't even like it. I didn't even want, I didn't even like Homer. I didn't even like Homer Simpson, man. I think Bart sounds like a fucking like disgusting, like tavern, you know, like a 50 year old lady who, who spends all day in the tavern. Like, I don't like it. Oh, but 75% of your brain, it doesn't lie. These numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Uh, but, uh, you know, back to the prequels and, and like that, there's that one liner, but it, that also makes me think there was another line in, uh, it was like the third movie. And another thing that both the prequels and the, the new sequels, whatever you want to call them, I guess the prequels and sequels fits. Uh, one thing they, they've done and, and they've just done so terribly is this need to remind you that you're watching Star Wars. It's like you know you're fucking watching Star Wars. You, you read the scrolling text at the beginning. You know the music. You know all the characters. But they, they're filled with like these internal references that don't need to be there. And of course the prequels did an especially bad job by like needing to tie everything to the original trilogy where it's like, Oh, that character with the mask? Well, it turns out he's a he he all the stormtroopers are clones of his father and he was a clone too who they left uh untouched and you know he's actually they're all the same guy. And now you know what he looked like as a kid. That's kind of the prequels in a nutshell. It's like let me show you everything and we're actually going to overexplain all of the cool mis- mysterious things from the original trilogy. Oh, and, and by the way, the Force, which is, you know, something pretty much everybody can relate to and understand who, you know, has ever experienced any kind of, you know, even just minor, like, spiritual... Anybody's even pondered, like, about, you know, the nature of existence can kind of understand what the Force is. But let's make it scientific. Let's bring those atheists into the conversation. Even though everybody liked it before, the way it was, is this mysterious, almost magical force. Let's get scientific about it. And then let's make sure we show the, the masked, mysterious bounty hunter as a little boy. Make sure you know what he looks like, what he sounds like, what his childhood trauma is, which is true. They fucking show it. They, they show that even where he like sees his dad get killed and that like that, that leads to everything. His bounty hunter light, you know, it's just fucking stupid, man. But I, I said I wasn't going to rant about the prequels themselves. But something both the prequels and the sequels have done, it's like they they make it so, like, 
referential to itself. And it's like, at no point do you need to remind the audience that they're watching Star Wars. And the worst way that they do this isn't just with like the the weird f- feedback loop storylines and like, oh, uh, he, he Luke got his hand cut off. So you know what? His father got his hand cut off too. You know, all that shit where it's like, you have to recreate. You have to like create some sort of like false harmony by just reusing the same exact ideas. But one of the worst ways they do it is in the lines. Like they'll have a character reuse a certain iconic line from the original trilogy in the prequels or the sequels. And a great example of this is not even the same character, but at some point in the third prequel, Anakin's like, you know, something bad happens, and Anakin says. I have a bad feeling about this, which is a C-3PO line from the original trilogy, which in the original trilogy, it's used at a time when there's like, it it seems like something dark and foreboding is going to happen, but you don't actually know yet. But when Anakin says it in the prequel, he says it like as bad shit has already started happening. Like, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like there's already like bad guys attacking or like a war going on in front of him. And he, and he looks at it and he says, I have a bad feeling about this. And it's like, of course you do. It's going on and you're describing like something really bad that's happening right now. Like you're not looking at something foreboding and you're not C-3PO either. Like that's a ridiculous thing too. It's like the idea that, oh, all these character, all these main characters say each other's lines at different points in the timeline. Like they all talk just like each other at different points in the timeline. Like, oh, Anakin says this, uh, you know, he says he has a fad, a fad feeling about this. I have a fad feeling about this. That'd be a great name for a Star Wars character. Fad feeling. I'm gonna I'm gonna write the new Star Wars movies, and I'm gonna they're gonna star a new character named Fad Beeling. And he just all of his lines are sourced from the other movies. He actually doesn't have one original line, and it's gonna be called Star Wars, a Star Wars story. <laughs> with fad feeling and we already got the action figures planned out and that was something i was very aware of too when i was watching the prequels is i was like they had the toy line planned they had the cartoon spin-off planned and not even a cartoon like a weird 3d thing uh but it's like they had all this stuff planned while they were doing this and it's like there was no element of risk no element of like there were no question marks at all and that's the beauty you know that's why you don't over explain things that's why you don't force things because a large part of the beauty is the not really knowing how things are going to fit together. And then when they manage to fit together in some way that seems natural or follows some sort of pattern, you're like, holy fucking shit. And that's what I believe happened with the original trilogy and why that was such a crazy organic process. And I'm sure they were like, oh, we can plan some action figures. And if you've seen those original 1977 Star Wars action figures, they're not very impressive. They're like, I mean, they are. To me, they're like the best toys ever made because they're so simple and subtle. The characters aren't muscular. They're just very simple. They're painted in the exact colors, you know, these simple colors. There's a beauty to them. And it's even become this trend in the last few years to make action figures in that style for other movies of the era. Like, they make Aliens figures, these different cult classics. They actually make figures that are in that old Star Wars style. It was just very subtle, and I loved those action figures for that reason. And, like, when you used to find those at junk stores, or you'd, like, every once in a while, like, you'd find, like, a box of Star Wars, like, vintage Star Wars figures for a deal. You know, it was this, it was kind of this hunt to get them, because and they were just so cool. And 
you can tell though when those came out it was like they came out to go along with the movie nobody expected the movie to be as big as it was and even if they planned to have those action figures they had no idea that the fan base was going to go we really like those action figures but we want action figures of every little character who walk we want characters of fad beeling we know he's not even a character yet. We know he's not even going to be a character for 40 years. You know, he's not even going to be a character until 2030 when when Star Wars, a Star Wars story comes out. But at the same time, we're fans of Star Wars and we're the kind of people who want character we want toys of characters that just walk by in the background. We want toys of characters who are mentioned vaguely mentioned in some like footnote of of a expanded universe novel. You know, it's like that was the magic of it where it was like, we want to know everything. We want toys of everything. We want all this merchandise. So when the prequels came out, it was like they, that already existed. They already knew that there were fans that were going to want that stuff. So they were like, we're not just going to initially plan the, the 10 main characters. We're going to plan a, a figure for everything. And we're going to come up with names and backstories. And when you watch those prequels, it's like such an overload. Like you're so overloaded at every moment. And the few moments when you aren't overloaded by background characters, by colors, by this and that, by noise, by just this din and this Bart Simpson voice rising out from the surface from the background <laughs> uh, and someone doing a Homer voice in the background of the cantina uh, ooh duff beer ooh duff beer I can't it's I can't finish it it's like my 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 closer of the voice just doesn't work ooh duff beer a little closer there ooh Marseille cantina I don't know, man. That's terrible, honestly. If you were just to take a snippet of that and tell someone that was what my show was like, whew, actually, just saying that out loud, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta change directions here. Um, but no, just the overload of colors and knowing that, like, they made the movie with the intention of making a toy for every character and, and having spinoffs, and it's like, oh, I don't understand what's going on in the story. Oh, well, you need to watch the. Cartoon Network series that we made to go along with it. It's like it was all just so pre-planned and overwrought. Overwrought would be the best word. Uh, and it continually sucks me in. It's truly a piece of art because I, I continually get sucked into like analyzing it and, and looking at its faults. Uh, but there are some things that are just so, I would say, dunderheaded, which is a phrase I haven't used uh, lately enough. Dunderheaded. Just things like that, though, like him saying, him using C-3PO's line from the other movies to describe, like, having a, a bad feeling about something that's already happening. It's like me watching somebody get stabbed and saying, I have a bad feeling about this, and it, it's supposed to be kind of comedic or something, but it's like, no, you would say that if you saw, like, a guy, like, walking down an alleyway by himself you go oh i have a bad feeling about this but if you were to see that guy mugging somebody you don't say in the act i have a bad feeling about that it's like yeah thank you yeah we know we know something bad is going on oh yeah those bad guys are like firing lasers at at the good guys i have a bad feeling about that um it's just something as simple as that like passing the test, like the fact that that passed by like a panel of people who thought just something as simple as that is like, what you know, and it's just that kind of idea where it's just like stuffing in lines to remind you that it's a Star Wars movie. And yeah, that's one of the reasons why I couldn't get into these sequels because they were filled with that. It's like, thank you. 
You know, you've done such a great job with this building this world, then there's so many potential alternate storylines and different ways for the characters to express themselves, because you really have fleshed out this really dynamic world um, that's very large and complicated, yet the fans of it seem to have a pretty good grasp of everything. And you could really take that any kind of creative direction you want. But instead, let's just reuse lines for the lowest common denominator. It's just like, and and in the process, like alienate everybody too. It's just that sort of thing where it's it's very easy to see those things in hindsight. But that's something that I feel like even the most basic storyteller would pick up on. Like, because a storyteller is going to look at things and say, what is absolutely necessary? What are the major beats that impact the story? And you look at those and then you look at the dialogue and I don't know, it just it's like everything should be designed for this one central purpose and it can be, you know, which is telling a very particular story. And if there are other details that are interesting to people, that's just like a bonus. You know what I mean? Like, like if Star Wars had just been really successful on its own as a movie in the same way that other movies are everyone would have gone to bed happy. George Lucas would have been like, I made this blockbuster, it's great. And if people hadn't cared enough to be like, well, I want to know what the guy who, I want to know the name of the creature who, see that shadow in the cantina? You can't actually see the creature, but you just know someone's there because there's a shadow. I want to know what species that is, what's his name, and I want to read the book about how he found his way to the cantina. You know, that is just a bonus once you've made a successful movie. Having that like niche deep, nerdy fan interest is just a bonus. And so you focus on making a really good, engrossing story, and if you happen to create an incredible world, it's like if you build it, they will come. It's like Field of Dreams shit. Like, if you build that framework, if you build that world and tell a really great story or series of stories within that world, you don't have to force anything else because people will demand more. People will demand to know the names of those. What's the name of the, uh, well, what's the stormtrooper's real name and what's his home planet? You know, you're going to end up with that just naturally and when that comes naturally that's what creates like a truly fucking amazing world and you can see where that even happened with lord of the rings and you know it's happened with pretty much every great you know engrossing story like that it didn't start out with well uh, we're gonna create two thousand characters and we're gonna come up with basic biographies for each one should our fans inquire you know if you start out that way you're not going to create an interesting world you're not going to create an interesting story and so it's amazing that George Lucas was able to create, you know, or at least be the name. You know, I'm not going to say he alone created it, but he was at least the name attached to this incredible world that was created. And that he was also able to destroy that world, which I guess is fitting. And, but also, you know, kind of, you know, him leaving Star Wars has also made it really apparent that, you know, it, it, it isn't the same without him. So in the end, it's like I'm glad – I feel like the, the real impact that Star Wars had on my life is that it created this origin – you know, this world that I was engrossed in, this, this world that I was a fan of. And I wanted to you know, know more about it and rewatch these movies and just – I wanted to have my own I – I, you know, I wanted just to touch it somehow myself. I think that's what it comes down to when you're a kid and you get into something to that level. You're like, I just want to touch it. You know, that's it. I want to touch that world. Uh, and, but it's also, you know, fitting to me and maybe like on a larger level, the real Star Wars story, which is 
that, oh, hey, we're going to make these ones that suck so that you cannot just be fixated on that your entire life. Not that I would have been. I mean, you know, I'm sure I would have. I was already getting into other things before the prequels came out, but it was just sort of like a way of saying, guess what? Childhood's almost over. And this is a, a reminder. This is a speed bump along the way. Not even Star Wars is going to be there. You know, so you, you better deal with change and growing up, kid, because uh, uh, not even Star Wars stays gold. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, watching the prequels, I'm glad I did. And it, it was a reminder of what they are and objectively, which is, you know, not an exa- not not an example of a, a well executed idea. I think that would be the most polite way I, I, I could put it. Uh, but I am glad that, you know, it told a, a story in life. I think that's what I'm getting at, is what it may have lacked in terms of story as a movie, like the place that those movies have in reality is itself a story. And as a whole, Star Wars does tell a story. The role, that, you know, the relationship that Star Wars has had to its audience, that it's had to, you know, people as a whole, to American culture even, uh, that tells its own story, and it's interesting that it's not necessarily a happy one. Uh, but I, I don't think it necessarily has to be a sad one either, and I think that's part of it. It's like somebody could sit there and say, oh, you know, life sucks. And you go, why? Because 20 years ago today, they released The Phantom Menace. And from then on, life sucked. You know, there's some people who could, you know, who do that about anything. There's people who do that about anything where it's like something disappoints them and often they'll choose something arbitrary like a movie or something like that and they'll be like, this sucks and I'm going to spend the rest of my life just wallowing. And if you ask me why life sucks, I'm going to tell you because George Lucas, you know, fucked up my childhood. And it's like, well, your childhood's over, isn't it? And it's like, well, I never thought of it that way. And it's like, and what better way to signify your childhood being over or coming to a close than one of your favorite childhood stories starting to suck? You know, what better way to do it? What better way to tell a larger story in reality than that, you know? This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.